Let's try that. Okay, looks like we're going. All right. Oh, howdy there, Internet people. It's Bo again. So tonight we have a, uh, a bit of a professional heckler with us. But today he's going to talk about something a little bit more important to what's going on. So uh, if you want to know what's going on, you want to be able to follow along, go ahead and head over to HTTP colon slash slash B-I-T dot L-Y slash N-Y-C C-O-R-O-N-A-V-I-R-S. If it's in Spanish, if you want it in Spanish, add dash E-S to it. All right. So tell us about yourself. My name's Andy Ratto. I'm 35. I live in Brooklyn, New York, and I'm one of the lead organizers of the New York City United Against Coronavirus Information and Resources Document, which has become a clearinghouse of information about mutual aid projects in New York City responding to coronavirus as well as other forms of information and resources which individuals can use as we respond to this ongoing pandemic situation. Now, are you affiliated with any government agency or is this something you're doing on your own or part of a non-governmental group? Um, this particular project is a collection of individuals um, what people will be able to see as they browse the document or um, as people do research in their own communities is there are a variety of resources available um, responding to coronavirus, engaging in these sorts of mutual aid projects. Some are from the government, some are from established nonprofits, some are from new groups. And some are really just kind of loosely um, connected individuals. And I think that all of those different organizations have a role to play um, in the weeks and months ahead. Sounds good. Um, so what are you, let's see, first, how would you classify them? What would you call what you're doing? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, we're, we're in this sort of strange situation where a lot of existing problems um, are really being heightened in extreme ways under coronavirus. Um, so there's nothing new about food insecurity or housing insecurity or a lack of access to medical resources. And those problems were all being dealt with by um, charities, by mutual aid organizing, by governmental organizations, by nonprofits, et cetera. Um, and because the need became so extreme so quickly, um, a lot of people were having trouble finding what was available and connecting with resources. And so I became a guide in some sense to help people find what they were looking for. Um, and that was a lot of the initial um, impetus for me to get involved in this specific way. Um, I'm also involved in other more direct mutual aid organizing in terms of helping people get access to food, 
um, and responding to other needs that I, I'm doing in my, my neighborhood of Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. Um, but what I also identified was just a larger citywide issue of people struggling to find the resources that were available. Um, and, you know, I was able to begin pushing out that information via social media, um, email lists, these kind of signal and WhatsApp text chains, um, and had, you know, a bit of kind of knowledge and experience about how to be um, both a, a resource locator and a disseminator of that information. Um, and so me and others have kind of played that sort of guide role for people who, for the first time, maybe were struggling to find some of those resources. Nice, nice. Uh, so if you were somewhere else, you're watching this, you're not in New York, and you want to emulate this, you want to set up your own mutual aid network, you want to provide your own clearinghouse for your community. Um, what would you, where would you suggest people start? Uh, the first thing I would say is not to duplicate resources or projects that already exist or reinvent um, any sort of structure that might have already taken hold um, in the community. So we're far enough along that I think a lot of immediate needs are now being met either by previously existing organizations or by groups that have come together in February, in March, in April. Um, and, you know, oftentimes that involves hunting around and trying to, to find out what's been happening already um, and who are the people to connect with because a lot of the mutual aid that's happening is not big budget website staff um you know infrastructure etc it's you know people putting a, a phone number on a flyer pasting it on some um you know up on some lampposts down the street and then getting people out on foot or on bikes you know to do grocery shopping etc um so so, you know, part of the, the challenge that I was responding to and the challenge that is being replicated, you know, in cities across the country is helping people to find um, those resources that exist already. So as a first step, really beginning to dig around and see what exists in the community. Um, there are some good kind of national level resources that have been compiling that. Um, it's going down is one news source that has a pretty comprehensive list of mutual aid organizations um, operating at the, you know, the city or the community level. Um, and so seeking out and joining up and partnering with those existing organizations. Um, like I mentioned earlier, the sorts of challenges that we are facing under coronavirus are extreme, but not necessarily new. Um, and so when we think about like, well, how do we respond to people who don't have access to food? Um, the people who are the best at that are the folks who've been doing that for the last year, five year, 10 years, et cetera, um, who've developed relationships in their communities, 
who know what the most hardest hit areas will be, who've built up trust to have networks of both helpers and those in need. Um, and so going to the experts or going to people with those years of experience um, tends to be able to build up a stronger infrastructure um, and to be able to um, you know, learn from their past experience. Um, that being said, at least in New York City, um, the need was was so large and so rapid. We did see an, a number of, of new organizations starting up. Um, and there are now these, these guides coming out um, and these resources about how to you know, organize your building, um, which can be as simple as, as posting a flyer in the lobby um, and setting up you know, a WhatsApp or a signal chat so that everyone can stay in touch. And then moving from the building to the street, um, to the neighborhood, to the city as these kind of expanding circles um, of both resources and those in need. Um, but, you know, overall, we're now seeing, um, I think, a, a large kind of groundswell of people coming together to say, you know, we need to be prepared around housing issues that come up for people that can't pay rent. We need to worry about um, continuing to get people access to medical care as hospitals are becoming overburdened, food insecurity, et cetera. Um, and, you know, organizations that are, are doing this well um, tend to pay it forward in some sense by putting out materials, resource guides, um, tech handbooks, et cetera, that do provide that information um, that can be, you know, kind of used in a cookie cutter model from city to city. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's definitely like we're, we're starting to see, you know, down here in the south, we're, we're starting to actually see impacts and you're starting to see rural communities um, that, that are having these issues. It's, it's the same principle for those that are in those areas. Um, it could be your neighborhood. It could be there. There's always those locations like here where I live, real small town. Uh, you would put this information at Sonic rather than in the lobby of your building. But there's always a workaround. There's always a way to make it work. And there's probably already organizations in your area doing it in the south. There's probably that guy at your church who's, you know, not really that churchy, but he coordinates a lot of the charity work. <laughs> that's probably the guy you want to talk to. Um, that's that's probably the person that has the connections in the community because down here, a lot of it revolves around the church, even things that are secular. And I have noticed that a lot of times that person is, is not really what you would consider faithful he's there because that's where the resources are or she's there because that's where the resources are so if you're in a rural community it can still be done it doesn't have to only be done in areas with high population density um, but their models are probably more effective because they're they're designed to high, handle a much higher volume than we would ever see out in the country so anyway just needed to throw that in because we have a lot of uh, people that live in rural communities that are looking for this kind of information and don't really know how to start. Um, so I would ask, and here, here's 
Well, first, I got to ask the question everybody wants to know. How's it feel to get to get to yell at people the way that you have and gotten the press over it? <laughs> um, I oftentimes describe that as kind of the dessert of organizing or the little the little treat that comes once in a while. Um, you know, the real valuable work I try and engage in is, you know, long term base building, political education, pressure campaigns, etc. Um, that just involves a lot of time spent, you know, planning meetings and on Skype calls and, um, you know, putting together resources. Uh, but it's New York City and ever so often there'll be an opportunity um, for, you know, to, to go out on a, on a, you know, on a weekend and, um, you know, Sean Spicer is doing a book tour or, you know, Howard Schultz is running for president. Um, and, um, you know, just the things that I think a lot of people think, but don't necessarily get to say, at least not, um, to the people they're thinking them about, um, I happen to have that rare opportunity to say, um, and you know, it, it, I, it's, it's fun. Um, and I think it, it often works or, you know, works well enough, um, in part because I'm sometimes saying something that a lot of other people are thinking, um, or that journalists wish they could put in an article, but <laughs> they're constrained by, um, you know, the kind of rules and practices of journalism um, that they can't write it themselves. And they're just, they're w hoping and wishing someone puts it into words um, and they're able to, um, you know, pass it along. Um, and, you know, and particularly around coronavirus, it's been frustrating because there's been so much failure from our political leadership um, in ways that is just being, you know, totally unaddressed. Um, you know, we're seeing some pushback against Trump, you know, from the press corps, but they're doing it in the way that the press does, which is, you know, respectfully um, and, um, you know, with within the kind of structure of, political journalism in America. Um, but, you know, at some point, the people who are directly suffering because of, you know, mistakes and poor decisions from Trump may get the chance, you know, to express that to him. Um, there have been really egregious failures by um, Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio in New York City um, that have just really heightened the impact um, of coronavirus in, in New York. Um, and, you know, Governor Cuomo gets to do his, you know, daily, I guess, press, press briefings, um, where he's the strong, authoritative, commanding voice. Um, and no one is, is really kind of bringing up these past decisions and actions where more 
dramatic measures could have been taken earlier to really curtail the impact. Um, so on a, you know, on a day-to-day basis, you know, the work I'm doing around mutual aid, you know, is hours and hours every day of these kind of various projects. Um, but the, the little kind of dessert I may get at one point is running into Cuomo or de Blasio and being able to, express myself towards them in a way that I'm not hearing anyone say or that is not being um, included in the media in the way it should be. Right. There, There's a whole lot of blame as far as preparations beforehand and acting on their own. There, There's tons to go around for a whole lot of people. Right now, it is mainly focused on the person that is most vocal about how perfect they were. Um, I have a feeling that as more and more comes out and as those pre-existing conditions within different communities are highlighted, there, there's going to be a moment where people look back and say, wow, we could have solved this months before this ever happened. Um, I, it's, it's going to be a fun moment for me because of the way I structure stuff. But I, yeah, I definitely would see that as a dessert myself. Um, so here's a question I ask everybody that comes on. If you could tell the people watching this one thing that they can do in their community, in their hometown, in their neighborhood, whatever, to change the world, what would it be? Yeah, you got to fix the world in one sound bite. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the challenges, I think, of coronavirus um, is the scale of the impact. Um, You know, we're used to natural disasters in the United States. Um, Hurricane, tornado, flood, earthquake, fire. Um, I'm from California originally. We have our share of natural disasters. Um, and those can be, you know, limited geographically. They can be limited in terms of, of time, in terms of the number of people that, that are affected. Um, and this, you know, this particular moment we're in feels very unlimited and infinite. Um, and, you know, it's, it's expanding. It's getting worse. I would say every day has been worse than the day before without really end in sight in terms of, of the human impact, um, you know, as people are, are not working um, and the kind of secondary economic impacts continue to um, continue to kind of snowball, um, the situation's getting worse. Um, so the, the recommendation that I would have for people um, is, to, is to narrow it down and think as small and as local as they can. Um, and, you know, we can talk a little bit about kind of the, the philosophical um, or the political nature of mutual aid and what it is and why we do it, um, et cetera. But without kind of getting into the weeds of that, what I would say is any one individual um, is already an expert in the practice of mutual aid, um, if you've ever done something like mow your neighbor's lawn or take them grocery shopping 
or watch their kids um, or set up one of those kind of meal trains where, you know, such and such, um, you know, your coworker is recovering from cancer or, you know, a relative passed away and the spouse and children are coping um, and people are bringing by meals on a regular schedule, et cetera. Um, these are all, I think, experiences that we've had that we're familiar with um, and that we have expertise in. And so for people to kind of put aside, um, you know, just if they're watching this tomorrow, put aside, you know, this upcoming election and the stimulus checks and, you know, rents and mortgages and think, you know, in my building or on my block, who are the people in need and what is the skill or experience that I might be able to contribute? Um, I think that's a way to kind of ground all of us in the work that we're doing um, and to open up the sorts of connections um, and build the relationships that we're going to need going forward. Um, because we don't need to we don't need to launch, you know, the neighborhood um, or, you know, the the street, the street association coronavirus response committee um, tomorrow, you know, that could take some time or maybe it already exists or, you know, other people are, are going to maybe take the lead on that. But what each of us can do is just kind of check in with our neighbors, figure out how we can help um, and be someone that's able to say, you know, if there's something you need, you can reach out to me. And I would like to be able to stay in touch with you if there's something that I need. Um, and at least in New York City, um, those sorts of conversations and those sorts of connections are not always common. Um, there are people who live in apartment buildings that do not know the names of the people in their building. Um, there are people who live, you know, on streets who cannot you know, have never had a conversation with the people who live across the street from them. Um, and that, you know, can be, you know, replicated across the country. And also, you know, we have this pivotal moment now of people being able to say, um, we're only going to be able to get through this if we work together. Um, and that doesn't mean solving the biggest problem. It doesn't mean solving the most important problem, um, but it means taking the steps that will get us um, closer to solving those bigger and important problems. Nice. Nice. Okay. Uh, so where, what do you think the, the the longevity of these stuff is these organizations once they're built these networks these community level groups what happens after the smoke clears do they still exist do they morph into something else do they help address other issues where where's what's the dream where's it go so i, I mentioned before that the problems that we're facing now um are not new but they're larger in scope. Um, and so I think it's, you know, I would say a basically a certainty that 
the problems that we are struggling to solve now will remain problems after, you know, coronavirus is over, whatever exactly that means. Um, you know, let's say we come up with a vaccine and a cure next year. We no longer have to worry about coronavirus. Um, there will still be people struggling with, um, you know, losing their jobs, being in danger of eviction, um, getting food every day, etc. Um, and it's it's useful for people in this moment to get involved with this sort of organizing because they can continue to do that, um, you know, post coronavirus. Um, there are, you know, some specific ways that we're responding in New York City that may not be essential moving forward. You know, one of the major needs that, that we're dealing with is people who are now homebound during coronavirus because they are elderly or immunocompromised or really, in, you know, it would be a danger for them to go grocery shopping. So we have teams of volunteers who will go grocery shopping for them. Um, you know, in general, someone who may be, you know, you know, elderly, you know, it's it's fine for them to normally go grocery shopping. It's great for them to be out in the community. Exercise is nice. Sunlight is nice. You know, knowing your kind of corner bodega guy and having a conversation and having some some communication is nice. Um, so we don't we don't necessarily need to continue grocery delivery, um, but we need to continue to assess what are the unmet needs of the community. Um, but it's also, I think, important to kind of situate this mutual aid organizing that we're doing in terms of a larger political context, um, by which I mean there is a focus right now on meeting people's material needs whether it's, you know, food, medicine, housing, um, you know, anything else that kind of directly um, that, you know, monetary needs um, that we can meet. Um, but we're also, you know, I think very cognizant of the ways the kind of political and societal structures have exacerbated the problems of coronavirus. So there's a big, um, you know, debate in Congress right now about what to do about people who are losing their health insurance because they've lost their jobs because of coronavirus. And we happen to have a system of health insurance in America, which for a lot of people ties their health insurance to their job. And when someone loses their job, they oftentimes will also lose their health insurance. Um, and we have people whose you know, housing is tied to their ability to work. Access to food is tied to their ability to work. Um, and it does not have to be that way. There are plenty of other you know, ways we can design society, ways we can set up government programs um, that allow people who are fired not to be in danger of being hungry, homeless and without medical care. 
Um, so as we kind of think, well, in the medium to long term, what exactly are we going to be doing in the future? What's going to happen with these organizations that we've built? What's going to happen with this um, community power and capacity that's being created? Well, we're going to meet people's material needs um, in the short term, but we're also going to think about what our vision is for the future so that the next disaster, pandemic, um, you know, emergency situation does not recreate all of these emergency conditions and all of these kind of secondary societal impacts that have created so much damage and destruction. Um, and those of us who've been on calls and in meetings, um, you know, focused on how do we get people food are going to say, well, you know, in 2021, who's still hungry in our community and how do we get them food? But also what are the changes that we need to make? What is the, you know, societal or governmental shifts we need to push for so that people are not going to be hungry anymore? Um, and there's a lot of visions about how that can can change and how that can function. Um, you know, there's kind of left wing big government socialism. There is a kind of, you know, anarchist mutual aid, non-governmental approach um, and a variety of other ways. You know, and I don't I don't have strong principled beliefs about kind of the best way to solve all these problems. Um, you know, there's a variety of ways we can talk about getting people health care, about making sure that people who lose their jobs do not become homeless. Um, and that is, you know, an important, you know, an important aspect to keep in our minds as we struggle through coronavirus um, is not to treat what's happening right now as unique. Um, you know, it's not. There's nothing unique about the way people are struggling in New York City and across the country. Um, people have always struggled. Um, and the solutions that we should envision are not just how do I get people groceries for the next two weeks, but how do we solve a problem where people in America in 2020 do not have food in their apartments and cannot afford food. Um, and, um, you know, that is not, that is worse because of coronavirus, um, but that is not new because of coronavirus. Right. Right. Okay. All right. So plug your stuff. Where do people need to go? What do they need to look up? Where does everybody need to, uh, Kind of get more information and where can they start yeah so um you gave a, a bitly link at the top of the show um which is this information and resources document for new york city um you know bit.ly slash nyc coronavirus um and that can give people in new york city access really directly to information and resources that they can make use of but also is kind of illustrating, like I mentioned earlier, people all over the country being able to see what sort of um, practices are, are, 
are, you know, are ratcheting up in New York City, how organizations are responding, some best practices, et cetera. Um, because New York really was at kind of the, the beginning of this wave across the country and was hit especially hard. Um, you know, I'm part of a group also called Bedsty Strong. Bedsty is a neighborhood in Brooklyn. Um, and we have our own website, bedstystrong.com, which again, you know, really kind of allows people to see what this looks like in practice at the neighborhood level. Um, and then I mentioned um, It's Going Down, which is just a, a nationwide publication, um, which has been, you know, collecting their own sort of um, information and resource documents about what's been um, happening across the country. Um, but again, you know, for, you know, any major city in the United States, there have been people struggling with food insecurity, housing insecurity, um, poverty, etc. Um, and already existing organizations and groups of people um, have been working on solving those problems. And those organizations, you know, as a general rule, are, are under-resourced. They don't have the, the volunteers to respond. They don't have the money to respond during, you know, good times when we're not dealing with a global pandemic. So, you know, any organization that I can think of or that I'm aware of is being hit even harder. Um, and they're out there right now. And if you have time and you can volunteer, you can give time. If you have money and you can donate, you can give money. Um, and if you're someone in need, you can reach out um, because really kind of one of the underlying philosophies of this sort of mutual aid organizing is a, a participatory process. There's not, you know, the people with resources providing and those in need taking, um, but everyone has something to contribute and everyone has the opportunity to make use of that. Um, and I think what we're seeing under coronavirus is that everyone is being impacted. Um, everyone is being affected and we all have something to contribute. Um, and we all, I think, are going to face struggles and challenges and are going to need to be able to identify the resources we can reach out to um, that will be able to help us. Love it. Okay. All right. You got anything else? Parting shot? Anything else you want to say? I mean, you summed it up pretty well there. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I closed on a, on a, a nice summation of what I was trying to express. And so I won't, don't feel the need to belabor it. All right. Okay. Well, then that's the show. Uh, you know, it's just a thought. Y'all uh, have a good night. <laughs>